trusted voice of truth and light. The narratives that mislead most of us aren't outright lies. They're the deliberate omission of facts that could give us a more complete picture. And a rally point for those who've accepted the reality that they are not sheep. The world needs your leadership, and the essence of leadership is using your influence wisely wherever you happen to be standing. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome to the show. Fellow wrong thinkers from far and wide, we are so glad you could join us today. And I have Eric Peters with me. Eric, great to have you on board once again. Great to be back. I think we'll have an interesting talk today. You know, there is an intensifying storm going on around us, and I've tried to ignore it, but despite my best efforts, it's still making itself heard and felt. So I guess I should probably pay attention. It is. By the way, something that we didn't get a chance to talk about off the air, which might be worth talking about on the air with regard to the possibility of some degree of fraud having been committed in this election, I wanted to relate my personal experience of voting last week. When I showed up for the first time ever, and I vote every year, I was not required to present my identification, which I thought was very odd. Um, I uh, was asked to show my voter registration card, but that thing could be so easily forged. It's literally a piece of cardboard. Do you remember when we were in high school and we got our driver's licenses back in the day, and, and it was that piece of paper with some printing on it? Yeah, the, like the not, not provisional a, license. And remember how when we were 15 and a half, we would modify it so we could buy beer, and it was so easy to do that. Remember that? Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, that's what this piece of paper was like. It was the crudest little thing, and I'm by no means a computer whiz, but I could have uh, manufactured a, uh, a voter ID card and walked into there and voted without having to show any identification. And I just thought that was odd, not only in and of itself, but also because that had never been the case in any prior election that I voted in, which... You know, is all the elections dating back to the mid-late 1980s. Very yeah. weird. I I wanted to get your take on uh, on the election, and I understand there are some pretty wild conspiracies out there, but there's mm-hmm. an awful lot of irregularity that I would think any thinking person would have to really question, mm-hmm. hey, does my vote even count? Well, there are many facets here. One is, minimally, the pollsters were egregiously wrong. They all had projected that it was going to be a clear win for Biden, right? And in some cases, they were predicting double-digit wins. Now, granted, that happened in California, but uh, they were off by orders of magnitude. Minimally, even if you assume that this election was entirely on the up and up and above board, it's an incredibly close, hugely contested election. Uh, So we know how much stock to take in their predictions going forward. Another thing that I think was particularly egregious is the way the media uh, almost immediately bummed rush to call it for Biden uh, at, the, at the first sign of, of, of Biden having any slim majority in any of the states, whereas the states that were overwhelmingly for Trump, Pennsylvania, for example, they, they still have not called for him, despite the fact that it's pretty clear at this moment that uh, it's about to flip back into the Trump side. I don't think I can recall, and I've been paying pretty close attention. Um, I, I've worked in media since 1985, and so I've paid attention to the, the various elections since that time just because usually it was my mm-hmm. job to in some way cover them. I can yep. never remember a time when, uh, when the media stepped up and so confidently said, well, we're calling the election without, uh, without any degree of certainty as to how things have been. Even in 2000, when it was Al Gore yep. and George W. Bush, there was right. still a lot of uncertainty for at least, what, 30, almost 40 days after the official election? 
There was, absolutely. They waited until the process unfolded, until the votes were counted. I mean, it was excruciating. Every day you'd hear about the count and what was going on, but for, I think it was 37 days, they, they did not call it for either candidate until it was manifestly clear which candidate had won. Interesting. Well, I mean, look, I, I've had trust issues with much of the media before, but if there's a silver lining, Eric, it would have to be that um, what remained of the trust that people have placed in the media appears to have been broken like so many matchsticks. Well, here, here, let's hope so. Uh, you know, their dishonesty, their agenda is so blatant at this point. They've become so cocky, so arrogant. They don't even try to hide it any longer. And I think that is a good thing, and not just for the sake of this election, but also for the sake of what's going on with the uh, the coronavirus mass hysteria. And perhaps people will begin to question what they're being told by the media with regard to that story, too. Well, and then we have to add into it, because we haven't always had a social media, at least as, as strong as it is this time around. I've never seen such a concerted effort to censor anything that questions the efficacy of the election, like I'm seeing right now. Anybody posts anything about the election, man, those little algorithmic fact-checkers oh, are yeah. right there. Well, now, here's some sophistry to explain yeah. why you can't trust your lying eyes. Yeah, it's, it's despicably dishonest and cognitively dissonant. At, at a minimum, if these people were honest, they would admit that if the thing were reversed, if we were talking about Trump having been immediately declared the victor and all these states suddenly going for Trump, do you think the left would sit passively and quietly by and, uh, and accept the result of that election? Of course not. And for them to suggest otherwise is, is beyond absurd. It's offensive to anybody's intelligence. Agreed. And yet, uh, I'll tell you, this, is, this has been, this last week or so has been a great exercise in practicing uh, managing my frustration and my sense of uh, disgust for those things that I actually have control over versus those things that I don't. Um, I'm not going to just sit back on my hands and say, oh, yeah, well, whatever happens, happens. Yep. But, but it's also very clear. There's a lot of this that is, is out of our hands. And, and learning to distinguish between the two, I think, is one of the big challenges for our time. It is, and I think we should also put things into context. Even if the worst happens and Biden is anointed uh, the, the national diaper decreer, uh, it, at this point it's obvious he has no mandate. The best he can claim is that he squeaked out a marginal victory with perhaps half of the electorate supporting him. That's certainly no mandate, Nancy Pelosi's comments notwithstanding. And I think that will make it difficult for him to do things such as decree a national diaper-wearing mandate and the contact tracing that he's been talking about. And he's even been talking about lockdowns already, if you can imagine that. As soon as he thinks that he was uh, awarded the presidency, he thinks it's safe to talk about shutting down the country again. Well, and like I've been telling my listeners, you know, I hate to be a fact checker, but uh, as far as I know, the electors have not cast their votes, and the votes have not been certified, so maybe he's being just a little premature, as is the rest of the media. Sure. Now, you can imagine the consequences, though, if this thing does turn around. Oh. Uh, you know, if, if, if Trump is declared the victor, however uh, narrow the victory, the country is going to go, to, uh, go berserk, or rather, the left is going to go absolutely out of its mind when that happens. No, well, then they've been threatening to do so. I mean, it's not like, well, gee, where did that come from? They have been clearly telling us, as well as showing us for the past six months or so, that uh, yeah, this is what they intend. Our vote doesn't count. The only way that you can agree with a leftist is to agree with the leftist. 
You know, you can't have, they, they love to talk about diversity, but really they, they are the most orthodox group of people imaginable. You have to agree with everything, every point of their agenda. You have to support their candidates. You have to support their point of view. And if you don't do that, obviously, you're a patriarchic, racist, racist hate monger. Yeah. Well, I'll be honest, and I'm a little bit ashamed of this. Um, I supported Trump in the sense that I, I cast my vote for him mainly because I was pushed into his corner by a bunch of mm-hmm. rabid, uh, you know, uh, accusers who seemed determined to destroy me because I, I yeah. wouldn't line up with them. But at the same time, I just I can't, in good conscience, um, I can't I can't want to to unite under their banner when when their version of unite is essentially shut up and kneel. You know, because that's, that's, that's exactly pretty much right. the option we're being given. Yeah, it's literally that we are not permitted to have a voice. And this ties into the whole face diapering thing. The diaper is a muzzle. It's to show that you agree, as I've been harping on for months and months now. They want to create the, the visual impression of universal agreement with their entire agenda and with submitting to it. And that's why this diaper thing is such a big and important issue. Well, let's, and we're, we're coming up on our break here, but we have a lot to talk about regarding uh, the diapering issue. Uh, we'll talk mm-hmm. especially about what's been happening in my home state of Utah over the last couple of days. Uh, boy, serious ramp up and serious ex- es- escalation on the part of government uh, as, mm-hmm. as to uh, we're going to tell you what to do now because you haven't been obeying us. I have mm-hmm. to ask, though, we've got, about, we've got about one minute before we go to break here. When you went to the polls, was there any mm-hmm. sideways glances because I know you weren't wearing your face diaper? No, actually, there were a lot of diapers, but uh, my undiapered face uh, was not bothered by any. But I think part of it has to do with the fact that I'm looking big and angry these days. And uh, as much as I've been almost hoping for somebody to say something to me, nobody did say anything to me. Okay, well, that's, that's encouraging. And, and maybe maybe it's a small glimmer of hope that uh, that some degree of sanity is is beginning to return. Because I'll tell you, here in my home state of Utah, um, we're we're moving straight to Crazy Town, and I'm not mm-hmm. particularly happy about it. If I can be honest, well, we're still in Crazy Town here too. The difference is that people are doing it voluntarily. The majority of the places that you go to around here, uh, the majority of people are fully diapered up, even though there's no enforcement, even though they're not telling people to do it. Social pressure and I guess just uh, a sense of defeat has most of these people wearing their diapers. Okay, on that note, we'll take a quick break. Eric Peters from epautos.com is my <clears> guest. We will be back right after these messages. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. All right, welcome back to the show. I am talking with Eric Peters from epautos.com. And as you pointed out, Eric, at the beginning of the the program, we have a lot to discuss today. I wanted to share with you uh, the experience we had here in Utah a couple of nights ago. Um, The emergency signal sounded on uh, people's cell phones all across the state. And this is something normally reserved for amber alerts or flash flood warnings or, you know, fire evacuation warnings. But no, this time it was our governor 
reaching out and saying, we are experiencing a COVID emergency and I need everybody to tune into their local news at 930. And, you know, and I'm going to announce some some greater restrictions. And boy, did he. He talked about how now we have a statewide mask mandate. Now they are prohibiting gatherings of uh, more than just uh, anybody in your immediate household. In fact, they're, they're saying $10,000 fines for those mm-hmm. who violate these things. Um, more non-essential businesses, in his estimation, will be, be shut down. Anyway, um, it's been ramped up. And I'm, I'm one of those people wondering, why in the heck is that happening now? Is it just because we got through the election and those who are in authority are, are you know, clamping down, trying to hang on to power at any cost? Your thoughts? I, well, I think that that's part of it, overturned. And so they're trying to clamp down for just that reason, off track, off balance, demoralized. And what was the term we talked about off air um, that, that you mentioned in the article that you Manufactured read? uncertainty. That's it, exactly. To keep everybody just off kilter, and that way they hope that they can cement this rickety Dementia Joe presidency that they've been trying to impose on the country for the past year. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm very, uh, well, I'm perturbed at what my governor is doing, but I'm also seeing some pretty positive rumblings in the sense that uh, finally the state legislature is getting off of its tail and saying, okay, this is enough. Mm-hmm. We have a governor who is abusing his authority, like a little kid who got a hold of Grandpa's CB radio and just can't stay off, you know, mm-hmm. Channel 19 or whatever. Um, it's it's time to rein in the governor. It's time to rein in some of the health department experts who are exercising extraordinary power in very destructive ways. They think they're yeah, helping. And, well, they've also, I think, gone a bit too far in this case that you mentioned. There's something about the in this business in the Constitution about uh, cruel and unusual punishment and excessive fail, uh, fines and bails, I, I think is the term. Uh, and this idea of, of hitting an average person or any person, for that matter, with a $10,000 fine for not putting the piece of holy cloth over their face, I mean, you get in, into more trouble, I think, if you hold up a 7-Eleven than you would if you walk around in your state without the holy rag over your face. And that's just not going to stand. And more importantly, I think it's going to incite pretty severe pushback. You can imagine some you know, ordinary working stiff like you or me uh, getting hit with that, where you know that's a life-changing thing to be hit with a ten thousand dollar fine. You're not going to pay it. Screw you. I'm not going to do it. Right? And there are going to be problems in attempting to enforce that because people are going to realize what it means. And I foresee potentially violent repercussions. I think you know if, if a cop approaches somebody and that person realizes, oh my gosh, I'm going to get hit with a ten thousand dollar fine. Maybe it's worth it to fight the cop. Right. Or, or fa- you know, if I'm going to face financial ruin, they've effectively created a situation where that person really doesn't have that much to lose at that point. And that's a exactly dangerous right. place to be. Right. And in a way, that's almost a good thing. I mean, it's in a, in a sad and depraved kind of a way in that it might finally get people off their duff uh, and to say, no, this is enough. We're not putting up with this. It has got to stop. They tried something similar a few years ago. This is way before Corona fever. Um, when they imposed what were called abuser fines, or uh, I think the term was in Virginia, for minor speeding tickets. Minor speeding tickets. You could be hit with a $2,500 fine. And there was a, a near revolt over that once people found out about that and how disproportionate it was and how, how unfair it was relative to the su- supposed offense. So in a way, this sort of thing can work to our benefit, I think. Yeah. I, you know, I don't want to see 
violence increase. I will tell you this. I'm very encouraged that I know of at least one sheriff in Utah, um, and obviously I won't name that uh, that sheriff or the county, but um, this sheriff has, has pulled a couple of friends of mine aside and said, my deputies mm-hmm. will not be enforcing any kind of mandate on masks. Yeah, you know, I'm glad that you brought that up because I've heard at second hand in my county where we also have a sheriff's office, um, someone who I know through a friend had spoken with our sheriff uh, who actually had gone there to ask them about this very issue. And the sheriff said that, no, they will not be enforcing any any uh, diaper decrees that uh, that come down. So that's a really encouraging, th- encouraging thing. What's not so encouraging is that most Americans don't live under an elected sheriff. They live under the thumb of, of an appointed police department, and the police department and the chief of police is generally appointed by the local government. So the local government, you know, is, is the same government that's imposing the diaper decrees is going to tell the police to do this, and the police will do it. And that, that applies in most of the larger counties uh, around the country, unfortunately. And one of the things that, that troubles me the most is how business owners are being co-opted as essentially deputized enforcers of the mask mm-hmm. mandates with the threat that, look, you either enforce this or we're going to pull your business license if you aren't forcing mm-hmm. your customers to put on the face diaper. Well, and that has a precedent, doesn't it? You know, we've gotten used to it, but when you think about it, businesses have been dragooned into being the enforcement division of the IRS, haven't they? They're oh, the absolutely. ones who collect all these taxes. They're not being paid for their accounting services, but nonetheless, they are forced to collect the taxes and serve as an adjunct of the state. So that principle was established, and as I've written about and talked about often, once you let this principle get in, the principle is inevitably going to be expanded. Well, I hope that the resistance continues to grow right now. Um, I, along with a lot of my fellow Utahns, are, are now trying to decide what is our next move. I got to tell you, the first reaction I had when, when I, first of all, when the emergency announcement came and I realized, oh boy, here we go, whipping up the fear mm-hmm. once again. My, mm-hmm. my gut reaction was a wave of anger like I have not experienced yep. in a long time, enough so that I had to sit down and say, okay, calm yourself and, yep. and think rationally because it just infuriated me to, to see someone so blatantly trying to pull the strings of the public. Yeah, me also. I read an article the other day that was uh, infuriating for a tangential but related reason. It was, um, you may have even caught this because I think it was on Lou Rockwell. Tom Woods also published this. It was about an, uh, an older woman who works as a, a cashier at a supermarket, I think. And she was talking about how uh, young children and babies used to always smile at her when she smiled at them in the checkout line. And now they see her wearing her mandated face diaper and can't see her face and these kids just sort of look with a blank stare because they don't know how to react to an adult whose face they can't see and the psychological import of that i think is a very important and alarming thing that parents in particular should be giving some thought to and what the government is doing to to a whole generation of kids by by imposing this insanity on everybody i would agree in fact i saw an account on facebook yesterday from a young mother whose uh, child was born, I think, four or five months ago. And, and this young mother was lamenting, my child has never seen a normal human face. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, these uh, little kids respond to faces. I mean, my, da- my granddaughter lives in Germany, and we get to FaceTime with her digitally, and, you know, I see her reaction when my face comes on camera. She's the only yeah. one who reacts positively when my face comes on camera. Well, because they're, non- they're nonverbal. You know, they are programmed by, by biology to respond to a smile rather than a frown. And, and, and when, they're, when they're looking at something that they can't see either thing, they don't know, it doesn't compute. They don't know how to, 
judge whether that person is friendly or not. And that's, that's a really disturbing thing in terms of the psychological damage that's being done to these kids that may be lifelong. Eric, let's take 30 seconds here and point people towards your website. I want them to, to check out your essays. I want them to support your sponsors. What can you tell us about epautos.com? Sure, it's epautos.com, and until uh, the hair plug man pulls the plug on me, you can readily find it just by typing that URL into your search engine. Uh, we've got not just political articles and uh, articles about current events, but also new car reviews, uh, articles about classic cars if you're interested in classic cars, motorcycles, and pretty much anything that has to do with getting around and having fun getting around. Okay, so if you're looking to uh, meet your recommended daily allowance of wrong think. I strongly recommend Eric's website. <laughs> Eric, thanks so much. I look forward to you our bet, conversation Brian. next week. You betcha. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. All right, welcome back to the show. We are going to engage in some serious wrong thing. Yeah, as if our conversation with Eric Peters wasn't enough. No, that was setting the stage for some truly serious wrong think. And here's what's on tap in the next half of the show. If there was ever a time to be honing your mental toughness, this is that time. And I think most of us feel this. Look, I, I, try, to, I try to project this attitude of, look, I'm okay, you're okay. Hey, Trump's going to Trump, Biden's going to Biden, Brian's going to Brian. But I will admit something to you, okay, that as long as this goes no further than you and me. I'm scared. I really am. I'm, I'm, I'm off balance, and I'm looking at what's going on around me and realizing I knew things were going to get difficult. I expected things to become harder as we move forward, and, and not because I'm an, a pessimist and, yeah, you know, the world sucks and it's just going to suck worse. It's more a matter of I understand that we are in the midst of a fourth turning, and uh, for that fourth turning to play out, as other fourth turnings before it have played out, we have to build to a crisis. And typically that crisis includes very big sweeping changes that affect everyone. There's no place to hide from it. It's not like you can, ah, I'm going to sit this one out because I'm just really not into whatever's happening. Because it's things like um, civil breakdown or civic decay it's things, you know, like you would see uh, with uh, Chaz or Chop or Antifa rioting in the streets for months on end, while police stand by and just let them destroy property at the behest of their, you know, superiors, of course. I think the individual officers would probably be happy to do their job. They just, they can't. Their hands are tied. Fourth turnings also involve tremendous financial upheaval. And we've seen some with all of the lockdowns and the essential versus non-essential businesses. So that's, that's one thing. But all the spending, all of the, uh, the ripple effect from forcing businesses to close down, 
or putting them in the position of being unpaid enforcers for the state when it comes to mask mandates, this is having a, a very negative effect. And I've, I have known a lot of people this year, myself included, who unexpectedly have found themselves going, ooh, I get to reinvent myself here or I get to, to seek a, a new source of income because things change unexpectedly. It's a very uncertain time, and it's going to get worse. That's acknowledging reality. That's not being a pessimist. That's not the glass is half full. That's just the recognition. You can't spend trillions and trillions of dollars. You cannot artificially unplug parts of the economy and expect everything to just go swimmingly. The supply chains are going to be shutting down. By the way, you will likely see the beginning of a trucker's strike sometime this week. I believe tomorrow, Veterans Day is when they're, or uh, not Veterans Day, is it Armistice Day? Maybe it is Veterans Day. Sorry, I'm, I'm unclear on uh, if I'm using those terms interchangeably when I shouldn't. But um, I know for sure there's talk about a 24-hour trucks stop rolling protest. This is over the election uncertainty. I also know that there is, uh, there's a four-day trucker shutdown that is scheduled for the end of this month, the 26th through the 29th. Now, I remember what it was like when the Teamsters went on strike back in the 1980s. That was the first time in my life I ever saw empty shelves on the grocery store. Oh, by the way, my wife was in the grocery store yesterday. Care to guess what she saw? If you said, empty shelves, you are right. So I know we've seen them before, but the bottom line is, look. uh, Oh, and the other thing. This is the other part of a fourth turning. Big war. Like total war, like revolutionary war, civil war, World War II. Do you get the picture? So I've understood that is what is in in the process of coming to a, a, a climax. The crisis has been going on for some time. And so I've expected things to get tougher. And, you know, I, I thought I've prepared myself as best I can. But uh, it, sometimes I find myself going, dang, this is so much harder <laughs> than I thought it was going to be. So what does it take to burn the fat off your soul and become truly resilient? I'm going to have a link in the show notes to an essay. This is from uh, AmericanPartisan.org. This is kind of hardcore stuff. Badlands Fieldcraft, no matter what happens. There are, uh, there's a number of F-bombs. They're, they're thankfully at the very end of the, uh, the piece. But the bottom line here is, look, if you can't un-F the situation around you, kind of like the situation we're in where we have a ton of manufactured uncertainty thanks to the masks, the mask mandates, the lockdowns, the uh, election uncertainty, this is all manufactured. And I believe it's, it's uh, with purpose. I think it's supposed to keep us off balance. What you can do is, in the words of this article, un-F yourself. And that's what we're going to talk about here for just a moment. Just to just to point out that, you know, we we all are susceptible to that sense of, holy crap, I can't believe this is happening. What do I do? But we're also much more capable of, of staying the course and, and coming out on top. We just, we doubt our mental toughness, or at least I doubt my mental toughness. The article says it's the morning after the election. There's not a clear-cut winner. It looks like things will no doubt get messy as the results get ironed out. It says, whichever way the winds blow over the next week or so, I'm unaffected. 
Of course, I have my ideas on what I hope will happen, but whether or not it does is of no consequence. I'm already on a path, and on that path I'll stay. Now, that's not to say I don't care, but in reality, I know what I believe is right and true, and I'll stand by it confidently. That's where anxiety comes from, lack of confidence and fear. And now, I don't know the author's name here. This is just by one of the staff members at uh, AmericanPartisan.org. But this person writes, I wrote a while back that I've stopped allowing myself to make decisions based on fear. It's become a sin for me. Now, that's not to say I don't have concerns about those and that which I care about. Concern is rational. Fear is irrational. Stop letting fear be an influence in your life. Learn to recognize it. And once identified, respond to it appropriately. He says, the, appro- the response I've been working on in training myself is to assault through the fear. If I feel that fear, that fear spike, I try to attack it immediately. And this is where he suggests make a plan to start building your confidence. Now, he says, I'm not talking about sugar-coated, fake self-confidence BS that was rammed down our throats as kids. The everyone is special and a winner, and you're perfect just the way you are nonsense. He says, that's probably why the Western world is so full of nervous, anxious people blaming their problems on everyone else, looking for the first chance to vent on the other side. 30-plus years and multiple generations of not realizing potential and building true, solid confidence will get you a lot of anxious, depressed, weak, and fragile people. Now, he says this is especially important for men, considering that confidence and solidity in the face of adversity has kind of been our bit for the last few thousand years. Those who possessed those virtues tended to do better than their competition, but there I go with my toxic masculinity again. And so the recommendation here is to remember that strength of all types will always be an important part of masculinity, and without it, fear and anxiety will take hold. So embrace the chaos, develop yourself into the sort of man who can make order from the chaos. Strong men create order, weak men create chaos. For decades, our country has for the most part enjoyed the plush, warm, comfortable life, like a baby in its mother's womb. But now we're being expelled into the cold, chaotic, harsh light of life that demands the father's masculine influence to survive and grow. By the way, there's a great quote here from Ernest Hemingway. That in some way he could work the fat off his soul the way a fighter went into the mountains to work and train in order to burn it out of his body. Getting the fat off our souls. I love the ring of that. Instead of looking at chaos and challenges in the world and despair and fear, think of the situation like a rite of passage and prepare yourself accordingly. Embrace it as part of the process of becoming stronger and better. The article says we're entering a new era where strong, strong men will be more necessary in everyday life again. And by strong, I don't just mean physical, but in character as well. We've gotten complacent and lazy in front of our screens while mom takes care of everything. Our society has gotten so easy and prosperous that hard, dangerous work is now outsourced to a few, allowing less courageous men to become legends in their own minds and distort the image of what it is to be a strong man. And these less-than-ideal men are then promoted by the Marxist nanny state to the millions of fatherless boys as the ideal and the cycle starts to repeat itself, while at the same time, they teach the boys to resent real masculinity like the father they never had. It's only when true chaos and hardship show up that truth is revealed. It's only then that the fat is burnt away. And he says, for this reason, I welcome the opportunity to do battle with the chaos. 
So start facing some adversity with a smile on your face. Tighten those bootlaces and pack straps and start tackling those mountains you're facing. As they say, nothing comes easy after all. Go earn your confidence by facing fears and challenges. Always be improving your position. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. All right, welcome back to the show. So how did you like that little kick in the seat of the pants from AmericanPartisan.org? <laughs> I don't know, maybe I'm the only one who needed it, but I thought that's, that's really good advice. And here's the best part. You know, no matter what happens, you have control over yourself and how you react. You don't have control over a lot of external things. And the unhappiest people I know right now are the people who are obsessed with the things that they cannot control. So regardless of whether your guy wins or loses, or if you could care less, have a plan for yourself. That makes sense. Never settle for good enough. And keep moving forward regardless of how steep or tough the road. I've been watching my boys. Actually, my wife and my boys have been... They've been engaging in some toughening up, like some physical stuff, uh, watching their diet. And I mean really watching their diet, working out, and and just uh, taking charge physically of their lives. And I see a corresponding sense of confidence starting to distill upon them as to their ability to deal with whatever life has to offer. And there's stuff, too. You know, we, we all complain. I don't like how this is going. I don't like how that's going. But there's plenty that you can control. And I think that uh, this call to uh, just to do what it takes to be better, no matter what happens, I think it's, it's just excellent. It's advice that I intend to follow as well. So I hope you find it useful. You'll find it in the show notes at thebrianhydeshow.com. Hey, if you visit my website, Please notice there's a comment feature at the at the end of the show notes. Feel free to leave your comments, and you don't have to you know shower me with praise. I, I don't. I like to be stroked, but I don't need to be stroked. Give me your feedback so that I can do my best work in in helping provide you with the information that truly is helpful to you. Sometimes I feel like I'm just you know shaking the magic eight ball. Is this one a good one? Check back later. Okay, well I'm going with it because it's showtime right now. So here we go couple other things I wanted to touch on before the hour is up. Um, let's start with uh, Matt Walsh. I know he's kind of a lightning rod for some people, but I, I have attached to the show notes today an essay from him. The title says, Now that Biden thinks he's won, he wants us to unite. Sorry, I'll pass. And there's there's something here that uh, that I think is, is worth considering. Um these calls for unity, this is, uh, this is kind of a dangerous thing. And, and I'm, I'm going to leave most of this for you to just kind of discover for yourself. He talks about Biden's uh, uh, talk Saturday, his victory speech, if you will, a speech that Matt says is breathtaking in his dishonesty, phoniness, and arrogance. But he says this one managed to raise the, the all, all political speeches are that way, but this one ran, managed to raise the bar by several notches. He said, Biden stressed unity over and over again, promised to bring Americans together and, quote, heal us. 
declared an end to partisanship and announced his intentions to restore the soul of America. Now, here's the crazy thing. Matt says, I'm not sure how a soul is restored, much less how a president can do it. Perhaps it's something that could be handled through executive order. But however it's done, the point is our souls have been restored. We are healed. We can unite together, clasping hands in fields of daffodils and singing songs of joy. All is right in the world because Uncle Joe is here to sniff our hair and calm our fears. But he says, here's the odd thing, this healing, this this unity. Even as Biden lays his healing hands upon us and keeps them there for an uncomfortably long time, other Democrats like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez are busy compiling enemies lists of people who supported Trump. Something called the Trump Accountability Project has been formed for the purpose of blacklisting anyone who committed the crime of wrong think over the past four years. It appears that we can hold hands and dance in the fields of flowers. A few, say 70, uh, that before we can hold hands and dance in those fields of flowers, a few, say 70 million or so heretics, must be burned at the stake. Biden apparently forgot to mention that all the healing shall commence only after his enemies have been slain before him. Pretty crazy stuff. And that's, that's what all this unity and healing stuff really is, says uh, Matt Walsh. Fodder for speeches. Speeches delivered by a man who belongs to the ideological and political club, which has, for the past several years, insisted that all of their opponents are bigots, racists, or worse, and not worthy of acceptance in polite society. Anyone who threatened their agenda or defied their wishes was slandered, smeared, ripped to shreds, labeled a gang rapist even, if that's what it took. And he points out how in recent months they've taken this Machiavellian gospel to the streets, burning and looting and making victims of their fellow Americans, none of whom did anything in particular to incur their wrath. These are the same people who will tell you that if you belong to a certain race, meaning you're white, or sex, meaning you're male, you are fundamentally and irretrievably broken, racist by your very nature, and probably sexist too. And they've told us we cannot come together under the flag or as Americans because America is systemically racist, a global disgrace, disgrace rather, and all of its heroes are monsters whose monuments must be defiled and destroyed. Now, there's more to this. I will let you discover it for yourself, but I think he's wise to say, yeah, those calls for unity are really calls to unite in submission around the Democrat Party and its doctrines. Say our congratulations, hooray, and that we agree, and whatever four or five other pre-approved sentiments we're allowed to speak, that's the kind of unity for which Joe Biden pleads. And there is no shame in saying, yeah, that's not for me. So you're in good company should you choose to reject that. Now, speaking of all the the uncertainty around us, much of which I believe is manufactured, what can we do to fix our broken elections? If there is nothing else... You know, the people who've ever doubted the idea that their vote still counts uh, are not being helped by the events of this past week. And Jeff Minnick has seven simple proposals to fix our broken elections. And I'm going to share a couple of them. I want you to check out the rest for yourself. They are in the show notes at thebrianhideshow.com. I want you to notice how none of the things that Jeff Minnick suggests are the products of either wild conspiracy or outright denial of reality. I mean, he starts by pointing out, look, Joe Biden may have declared victory, but whether he or Donald Trump officially wins the presidency could remain undetermined for months or even weeks. Even then, we may see the election brought before the Supreme Court. Who knows? 
What we do know is this election has delivered a mess not seen since 2000 when the Supreme Court had to rule on whether Bush or Gore had won the race. We'll see recounts and accusations of voter fraud, and as time drags on, the bitter acrimony that already divides our country will only deepen. Now, he says a contested election weighted by accusations of deceit and ballot irregularities was the last thing this country needed. When tens of millions of voters believe the election was stolen from their candidate, our American Republic is in serious danger. So here are some proposals for the future that might help end some of these troubles. First, he says... Declare the first Tuesday in November a national holiday. Voting is a primary right and duty of the American citizen. He says we should honor that right by giving Election Day the same status as Independence Day. Think how many people had to leave the polls without depositing a ballot because of work obligations. Making Election Day a legal holiday would ease that situation. Secondly, require voter identification. We need ID to drive a car, to obtain a library card, to board an airplane. It's not absurd to demand ID for voting. Limit the availability of early voting to one week directly ahead of the election. The number of days and weeks given to our elections is not only ridiculous, but he says it allows for more fraud. And we should say never again to mail-in ballots. This year, the excuse for this procedure was avoiding the COVID-19 virus, which is ridiculous when we consider the new normal of our everyday lives. If wearing masks and social distancing work in Walmart and Kroger, then why wouldn't they work in polling locations? And he says, while mail-in ballots should be a thing of the past, absentee ballots for military serving overseas or citizens living abroad and those who were either traveling or too ill to leave their homes on Election Day should still remain in place. Next, he says, shorten the election season. Cut it by two-thirds. Many of us have come to dread this relentless, lengthy ordeal. The campaigns are divisive. They're incredibly expensive, in part because we have the longest election process of any country in the world by far. Most other countries in the world, by the way, have much shorter national election campaigns. Do you realize NPR reported in 2015 the election campaigns in the USA were 596 days compared to Great Britain's 139 days and Canada's 78. Maybe it's time to limit the length of these campaigns here. Prosecute those who commit fraud during an election year, he says. The people who try to vote more than once or who create false ballots... Yeah, they should be punished. Or those who refuse to permit legitimate monitors from another party to enter a polling place should be hauled before a judge and should face stiff fines and time in prison because they are undermining American democracy. Again, I'll have a link to this in the show notes. You can find them at thebrianhydeshow.com. This is from Jeff Minnick from intellectualtakeout.org. Seven simple proposals to fix our elections. I think he's got some pretty good food for thought here. This is The Brian Hyde Show.